first reading is from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 10. And you can find it on page 1089. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to, running to Simon and Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they, they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb, for the tomb. both were running, but the other disciple outwan Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They they still did, did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Our second reading continues from the first, and it's John chapter 20, verses 11 to 18, and it can be found uh, in your service sheets, or on the screen, or in the Pew Bibles, page 1089. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God And your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. We continue in John 20 from verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together... With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This next reading continues from the previous, and so is John chapter 20, 24 to 29. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thank you very much to all of our readers this evening. It's nice to have a more extended treatment on Easter Day of the resurrection accounts from John, which we've been studying in home groups for the last year and a half, I think. We just finished that last reading with Thomas's wonderful confession of faith, my Lord and my God. His exclamation there in verse 28, my Lord and my God. His name may be synonymous to us with doubt, doubting Thomas. But uh, as a succinct confessions of faith go, his is one of the best. Jesus is my Lord and my God. Jesus had risen. He had conquered death. And he stood right there before Thomas. And he gave that wonderful confession. Incidentally, that's one of the best lines that we can point to to show Jesus is God. He is a person of the Godhead, not just a created being. Uh, Evidence from his lack of objection to Thomas's confession there, my Lord and my God. There's many people and groups out there who do deny that Jesus is God. Uh, Cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, religions like Islam and Judaism. Uh, Mark 8 is a very good text to take people to in that situation. That's the one where the disciples are quarreling about, is there enough bread for us? And Jesus had just made bread to feed 5,000 people and then 4,000 people. And he says to them, why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. So uh, That's a good passage to point to to show that Jesus is God. Uh, But this is even briefer, more succinct. Uh, Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. Well, we'll come back to that at the end. But we're going to have a bit of a canter through uh, the episodes, the scenes that we've seen here in our different readings. We've had three scenes read out for us. Firstly, the, the early morning scene on the Sunday after the Passover. Uh, Then secondly, the evening of the same day, and then eight, seven or eight days later, 
when Thomas made that confession. And we'll see in each of those three scenes, Jesus' resurrection being proven. All of these scenes, of course, written from John's perspective. Uh, That is, the disciple, the one who Jesus loved, as he refers to himself in this passage. And it's a very fresh, very personal account, very vivid account of that resurrection day. This contrasts a little bit with, for example, Luke and other gospel authors. Uh, Luke says that he queried various eyewitnesses uh, before writing his account of the gospel. In that respect, it's a little bit different in in that way with uh, two different biographies I've got here uh, on the shelf. So I've got two different biographies of uh, the prime minister under whom I was born, Margaret Thatcher, there you go, child of the 80s. So I've got various Thatcher biographies on my shelf. And we've got here, you know, one by John Sargent, quite a personal, vivid uh, set of memoirs about Lady T and uh, immediate kind of uh, anecdotal reactions to her rule. And on the other hand, John Campbell, who wrote a two-volume uh, set of uh, biographies. This is the volume one. And that's a bit more like kind of the Luke version, uh, written with reference to many eyewitnesses of what Mrs. Thatcher did. Uh, Both about the same woman, both about Thatcher, uh, but both written with slightly different perspectives and methods, and so relaying some different facts. Uh, But certainly there was one person they were writing about. And it's a bit the same with the gospel accounts, of course. And certainly when we come to the resurrection accounts, well, you might think to yourself, well, hang on, weren't there several women who went to the tomb uh, initially rather than just Mary Magdalene? Uh, are certainly the case, and we'll see how that is the case um, here as well. But uh, different gospel authors have different perspectives uh, on what happened. On that particular issue of several different women, you've seen from verse 1 uh, in this reading that it was just Mary Magdalene who John focused on. She went to the tomb, in verse 1, and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. We can dig a little deeper, though, and we can see later on when she goes running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, read John, uh, that she says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. We indicating that there were indeed several other women there with her when she went to initially look at the tomb. So if we think harder, we can see that John isn't getting it wrong. He hasn't uh, got a completely wrong end of the stick, as opposed to Mark and Luke when he discusses the resurrection account. It's just a different perspective that he has, because Mary Magdalen broke off from the other women when she saw the stone rolled away. She ran to get uh, Mark, uh, to get John and Peter. And so when John thought back to the resurrection day, he thought of Mary Magdalen coming to fetch him and Peter and bring them to the tomb, rather than, like Mark, thinking of all the women who went to the tomb. So we get some sense there of the the joyous confusion of what the first Easter Sunday was like. People running here and there and everywhere, uh, asking different questions, checking different things out. And it certainly was a joyous confusion or bewilderment. With the benefit of hindsight, we can see and we can celebrate what definitely happened. But at the time... Uh, despite Jesus' prophecies that he would die and three days again or later rise from the dead, 
uh, it all seemed a bit too good to be true. And so they didn't immediately clock that it was true when they saw the evidence. Uh, There's no record, for example, of Peter and John in those kind of verses two and three rejoicing at Mary's news. They presumably thought, as she probably thought, the body's just been stolen, a grave robbery or political machinations, rather than it actually being true that Jesus has come back from the dead as he said he would, even though Jesus told them repeatedly, after three days, I will rise again. They're still at the kind of, I just can't quite believe it stage of very good news. Uh, I personally was at the, I just can't quite believe it stage of good news when I got the results of my undergraduate degree. Such unexpectedly good news. I wasn't quite ready to celebrate when I saw it. I had to check the board again and again, check the transcripts, check the online record of what happens. Uh, Must be an error somewhere. Somebody must have got this wrong. I can't have done that well. But it took a while for it to sink in. Eventually it did. And the resurrection of Jesus, of course, much, much better news than any degrees that any of us here have. So much better. But so much more confusion as well and bewilderment at just how amazing the truth was that Jesus had actually lived up to his own prophecy that he would rise again. So they go and check the tomb. They go and ask around. They go and wait and see what's going to happen next rather than immediately cracking the champagne corks open. And John says in verses 5 and 6, John bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go into the tomb. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So they're they're checking out what's happened. They're going to see whether this really is uh, as has been reported by Mary Magdalen. They certainly believed when they saw that the body was gone. That's what John's saying when he says they saw and believed. They believed the body was gone, but not yet that it was because Jesus had been raised from the dead, as is made clear in verse 9. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And it takes them a while for for the news to be digested, so they just go home. The disciples went back to where they were staying. But Mary lingered. Uh, She had uh, set out earlier in the morning to anoint the body for uh, uh, the next stage. And uh, it had been her intention, presumably, to spend a few hours at the tomb. So she stays there and presumably waits for the other women uh, to come back who had when she first went there, stayed at the tomb and then saw the two angels who Luke and Mark report in their gospel accounts. And she is inconsolable that somebody might have stolen the body of her teacher, even when two angels turn up and uh, try to comfort her. Presumably they didn't really look like angels in verses, uh, uh, verse 11. But then, wonderful account in verses 12 and 13 of her encounter with the risen Jesus. Uh, sorry, that was 12 and 13 is the angels. And then, uh, yeah, through her tears and then through the, the uh, early morning light, she sees the risen Jesus a couple of verses after that, who at first she didn't recognize. They have taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around, verse 14, and saw Jesus standing there, 
but she did not realize that it was Jesus. It took the the tender enunciation of her name, Mary, for her to realize who it was. Most of us wouldn't want to let Jesus out of our sight at that point. Somebody who's come back from the dead, somebody significant, very significant to us, who has been killed but has come back again. But Jesus tells her to let him go because he's ascending to the Father and to go and tell the good news of his resurrection to the disciples in verse 18. And she went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The first appearance then of the resurrected Jesus was not to Peter or to John or to any of the other disciples, not to his mother Mary or to any of his half-siblings, but was to Mary Maudlin, a woman who Jesus had cast demons out of and had followed him around during his earthly ministry. A wonderful privilege for her to receive this first appearance. The other women who she was with earlier in the day, Joanna and Susanna, and Mary, the mother of James, they were the first to proclaim the news given to them by the angels of Jesus' resurrection. But Mary Maudlin, this lady from Galilee, she was the first one to see the risen Jesus. A radical move by the Lord in the first century where it was only male witnesses who could attest to anything legally. God, who loves to establish strength out of weakness, instead chose a single woman to make his first resurrection appearance to. Meanwhile, Peter and John, who had presumably wandered back to where they were staying, were still confused and perplexed. We move on to scene two of the three scenes we've had read out. But they didn't have to wait long for their own encounter with the risen Jesus. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus, therefore, had a real body, which made a real appearance to those disciples. The door was locked. Uh, The account here does not uh, simply say that Jesus somehow miraculously uh, sort of passed through like a spirit through the door. Uh, Much more likely that he simply unlocked the locked door, um, uh, rather than sort of teleporting uh, through the locked door. He had a real physical body. And that's important for us because Jesus' resurrection body shows something to us of our resurrection bodies. His is the first fruits of those who come to life. The resurrection body will not experience pain or sorrow or death. Although Jesus' did bear the marks of his crucifixion still. Maybe because they were still healing from that experience or because they uniquely will remain forever as trophies in some way of what he achieved at the cross. And no sooner had he appeared to those disciples than he gives them work to do in verse 21. 
Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Again, that's not John getting it wrong, getting crossed wires with Luke and thinking this is Pentecost happening a little bit early. This is a sort of a a proto-Pentecost instead. Uh, Not the real deal quite yet. Likewise for us, the Holy Spirit is active uh, in our lives, directing things before the point at which we become Christians. And when we are Christians, the Holy Spirit continues to have obviously significant ongoing ministry in us, which may have many refreshments, albeit that there was one particular redemption moment, a moment of regeneration. In the work that the disciples were given by Jesus in this moment, to which they were sent by Jesus, just as he was sent from the Father, the disciples were to wield the gospel, the message of repentance and belief, of death and resurrection. As we see in verses 23, in verse 23, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That was the tool by which they were to do the work to which Jesus sent them. That's not implying, a, those verses not implying a sort of special tribunal which the disciples were to set up, which decided who was in and who was out, but rather indicates that they had the gospel to hand which would determine who would be in and who would, out, would be out as they received that gospel. Likewise for us, when we go back to work on Tuesday, uh, or back to school, or back to university or college, we can be aware that we are, despite perhaps being a small cog in a big machine, or a medium-sized cog in a a medium-sized machine perhaps, we still have the wonderful work we've been sent to of the gospel. And we have a tremendous power, despite what might otherwise seem our weakness. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven to the extent that we proclaim the gospel and it is received or rejected. Wonderful power. I used to pass on my regular commute to work uh, when I lived in South London, a Pentecostal church with the fantastic name Mountain of Fire International Ministries, uh, which uh, advertised on its uh, billboard outside a ministry of cosmic reconciliation which sounded pretty incredible, until you realise that actually every Christian has a ministry of cosmic reconciliation. You and I have a ministry of cosmic reconciliation to the extent that, like the apostles, we wield the powerful tool of the gospel. But one of the disciples wasn't there to receive that commission and those keys, as it were. And that was Thomas, which takes us back to that third scene which we started with. I've already said he's unfairly dubbed with this moniker, Doubting Thomas. Because in some sense, actually, all of the disciples were doubting when they first heard the evidence or saw the evidence of the risen Lord. They had fulfilled exactly what he said he was going to do. They were all at that, I can't quite believe it, it's too good to be true stage at some point. And that's exactly where Thomas is at until he actually sees the risen Lord. 
But he had his chance a week later, as we see in verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked again, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And so he gives that wonderful gospel Easter confession that we started with in verse 28, my Lord and my God. Jesus then appeared to many others, hundreds in fact, before he ascended back to the Father. Unlike the disciples and those early followers, we can immediately see as Christians the truth of the resurrection and the good news of the resurrection. Good news for a number of reasons. Good news, firstly, because it ensures our own regeneration as Christians. Peter himself would later write after the events in this passage, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection. Crucifixion. Good Friday, it was a sacrifice for us, but not enough on its own. Sufficient, yes, to pay the penalty of sin for propitiation, but the resurrection also was needed to bring us to new life. We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection, and we can enjoy that new life now and in eternity in those resurrection bodies. Secondly, the resurrection is good news because it ensures our justification. Another apostle who had his own much, much more belated encounter with the risen Jesus than Thomas would later write, Jesus was put to death for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The resurrection was God the Father's final seal on everything that Jesus had done that Easter weekend. He approved of Jesus' work on the cross, and that approval overflows to us as well. It's wonderful to have our sins paid for, but even better to be accounted as just and righteous in God's sight, just like his son. The resurrection ensures that. He was raised for our justification. And thirdly, good news, because the resurrection ensures our own resurrection bodies, as I've already mentioned. I conducted a funeral here in the church on Wednesday this week, and it was such a joy, as it always is at funerals, to say this, the coffin lying here, is not the end. We will all pass through death unless the Lord comes. But Jesus' resurrection shows that when that body, which may well be the body of a loved one of yours, or eventually your own, is lying there in the coffin, that is not the end. And we know that because of the resurrection. At the final day, when the Lord returns, comes back from heaven, descends, the trumpet will sound, And the dead, as Jesus was, will be raised imperishable, either to a resurrection of life 
or a resurrection of judgment. If that sounds too good to be true, just look again at Jesus' own wonderful resurrection. And if, like the disciples, you're still thinking it's too good to be true, meditate further on it for the rest of this Easter weekend and let the good news of it just sink in, real and wonderful. Let us pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for proof after proof after proof, in appearance after appearance after appearance, recorded in the Gospels for us. Thank you for such abundant evidence that what he said would be the case was indeed the case, that he came back to life. And so may we say with Thomas, my Lord and my God, in great wonder and joy. Amen.